Well, good morning. Thank you, worship team. Take your Bibles again as we continue our study in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, third chapter of a short three-chapter letter. Looking at the first five verses, page 959 in our Bibles here, or however you find it on your app. 2 Thessalonians. In the the 1980s and 90s, some of you remember a movement by organizations, businesses, and even churches to come up with mission statements, purpose statements. Uh, It's a good thing. Everyone knew that a business's purpose was to to make money for the owners, right? They're going to make widgets, or they're providing a service. Everybody knows that a hospital is there to help sick people get better. But they were creating mission statements to really, I think, heighten the value of what they were doing and cast a vision that in some you know, uh, humanly positive way they were contributing to society. So churches, uh, some of them, uh, began to do that as well. Uh, churches, however, sometimes, I think, struggled to come up with mission statements because people have such different views of what a church is all about. And so I think, I think some churches, uh, some people would, would say that a church is really there to continue religious traditions so that we have Sunday services and, and Mary and Barry and kind of those religious traditions. And some would say that, well, no, the church is really about having uh, you know, good friends. So in, in a religious context, socially, you can have better friends socially. Or, or some would say the purpose of the church is, is to provide community services, community social services to help people physically or, or emotionally. All those things are good things. But what is the main thing? What is a church really here for Biblically, we want to look at that uh, today. Uh, Open Doors Church Constitution uh, has a good purpose statement in it, but uh, it's a little bit long and a little bit wordy, and so it was probably in the 1890s. I'm not that old. In the 1990s, in the 1990s, I think it was when we uh, we kind of reworked it to state our purpose a little more simply, easy to remember. And so we try to keep that in front of us. It's three words primarily, and, and that those three words are started by three letters. So class, uh, what are the three letters that express our purpose? Oh, you just do my heart so good. RBI, not runs batted in, and it stands for reach, build, and involve. Let's take a look at what it, the full statement. So take your bulletin today. I'm going to ask you to take your bulletin twice today. But on the back page of your your bulletin here, uh, at the very bottom, maybe you didn't notice this, maybe you did, Uh, let's just take a look at that, our full purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God, that's the big umbrella term, it's about Him, right? By what? R, reaching people with the gospel, that's first. B, building them in their relationship with God, much of what we're doing here. And then I, involving them each of us, in God's plan of multiplying disciples for his glory. So reaching, building, and involving. Every time uh, we do a welcome class, I always uh, go through, of course, the purpose statement, and we look at a, the last part of Acts chapter 11, which is, is interesting, just kind of lays it right out there in, in that sequence. 
This passage today would be really a good one for that as well, especially for that opening mandate of reaching people with the gospel. Because what Paul does in verses 1 and 2 is he requests that the Thessalonians pray for him. He's already, requ- he's already expressed prayers for them. He says, how about you pray for me as I try to reach people with the gospel, verse 1 and 2. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. So that you, as a Thessalonian church, he's writing to them several months later, after he had been there. And the we would be Paul and Silas and Timothy, the missionary uh, leadership team. Pray that the gospel would spread rapidly. We usually pray for and request prayer for those things which are most important to us. In fact, you could probably say a real honest personal purpose statement would be, what are we praying most about? It's kind of revealing. Of course we're going to pray for that which is most urgent, that which is, 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 is difficult right now, but what is our deepest desire? Is it, is it only about good health and, 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 and money and happy kids we already saw in Paul's prayer in chapter 1, he, he drew us to, to focus on praying not just for solutions, but that God's priority is our sanctification, our, our spiritual growth. What is God doing in whatever's going on that I'm praying about so that we're praying for our sanctification even more than for solutions? Well, what is Paul's prayer request here? It's what he was all about. It's what a church family should all be about. Pray that the gospel would spread rapidly. He refers to the gospel with this phrase, the message of the Lord. Message of the Lord. Uh, The Lord means Jesus. So the message of Jesus, which is the gospel, the good news, he died on the cross and rose uh, from the dead. So the message of the gospel was his calling. It was his passion. He never wavered from that. And it wasn't just something that Paul was supposed to do, because Paul was an apostle, right? He had a special role that God was using him for. But this is actually how Jesus launched the church age in which we live, was by saying, please, please pay attention to the most important task that you have. Sometimes we call this the Great Commission. Preach the gospel, make disciples. Matthew 28. So this is after Jesus' death, resurrection, before he ascended to heaven. He got the disciples together and said, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority. Therefore, since I have authority to tell you what to do, (laughs) go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, Jesus says, I'm going to be with you in this process throughout this age. The age is not over. This is still our instructions. Go and make disciples. In Mark, it says, he, he said this, same, same time frame, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Acts 1.8, this is just before he ascended to heaven, he told his, his, his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and that's going to be in Acts 2, but this is Acts 1, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's where they were, in Judea, that region, and Samaria, the region just beyond them, and to the ends of the earth. You're going to be witnesses to what? To the message of the gospel, to, to, to Christ. And so we see these like concentric circles, and, and we, can, we can apply that to us. On one hand, we're, we're, we're the ends of the earth compared to Jerusalem, right? It came to Port Washington and Ozaki County. But as we think of that, we, we think of how, in a sense, Ozaki County or Port Washington, whatever your city is, is our, is our Jerusalem. And then, then there's the Wisconsin, then there's the rest of America, and then there's the rest of the world. And that's why we have uh, missions efforts to take the gospel everywhere. So Jesus told us to the disciples, Paul wasn't there. Paul came later. In Acts chapter 9, he came to faith in Christ. But he, he knew that these instructions were not just for those 11 and it became 12 again guys, but it's for everyone and every one of us to go and make disciples. Let's think about just that particular passage a little bit. Uh, first of all, go and make disciples is about the R of our purpose statement, reaching people with the gospel. We need to take initiative, each individually, uh, our efforts as a church, even when we gather here. Uh, quite often we are speaking of the gospel as we are today. Go and make disciples. Uh, so, so going implies that you're telling them the gospel so they can believe. Making disciples, though, is, is that they're calling them into a lifetime of, of, of following and obeying Christ, as he then describes, first step, which is really kind of tied to the reaching, is baptizing them. So you see in the, the pattern in the book of Acts that as soon as people believed in Christ, they were baptized identifying themselves clearly. Baptism didn't add anything to their salvation. It indicated outwardly that they had been saved. By the way, next week there'll be a tank right here, and we have at least one person being baptized, and we are if, you are, if you have questions about it, if you are interested, if you've been putting it off, please talk to Pastor Nate or myself sometime this week, and we'd love to have you be a part of that. But reaching people, and then what? He says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's what we would call the B or the building process spiritually, that we are growing in obedience so that whatever Jesus said, whatever's in the Word of God, we are seeking to obey it. And that includes then serving Him, getting involved in doing what? Reaching people the gospel, building them in their faith. So we picture really RBI not as just like linear, but rather circular, reaching people with the gospel and then helping to build them up so that they can get involved in reaching people the gospel and building them up so more people are involved. So, so that's just kind of the, the whole process of what um, God has called the church to do. Um, how does that apply to us, maybe as a church personally? Let me just let you in a little bit into our staff meetings and and uh, board meetings sometimes we we talk about uh, people that uh, that God has given us to shepherd and and sometimes uh, especially as staff we, we we're focused on you know who who might be new or, or something like that and RBI reach build involve really guides our conversation because there is a first and primary question we have of anybody that we get to meet have they put their faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life 
the reaching question is always on the, on the forefront. There's, that doesn't mean that's all we care about because we want to we care about the whole person and what are they going through. We, we try as people come, come to our services for the first time to meet, meet and greet and, and get to know them. Um, it, it's kind of hard to come to Open Door incognito. Uh, that's what the online service is for. And, and, and people, that's good. If people, use, that's kind of the front door for many people is just kind of watch what we do. And, but but if, you, if you walk in our doors, we hope to meet you. But the issue that is first and primary is the issue, are they believers in Christ? Are they going to be in heaven someday? And, and if we truly care about people, why would we ignore where they're going to be forever? There's a lot of good organizations in Ozaki County that are doing a lot of those great things that are helping a lot of other needs, but only if, if, if there's an organization, organism called the church that is declaring the word of God, can we help people eternity? We have the information that secures heaven and in fact transforms life on earth. It's not just true here on the, when Pastor Nader our youth leaders meet new students in our student ministry. It's the first thing on their mind as, as students come. Are they believers in Christ? Um, do you know what our Wednesday night uh, high school ministry is called? Somebody? What's it called? Reach. That's where it came from, right? Reach. Because we have students coming that are, that are from the community as well as our reach. And then our, our, our ministries uh, for the students... On, uh, on Sunday morning, like the hour right after this, we, we used to call it Sunday school, but we gave it a new name. You know what it's called? Build, student build. Because we're seeking to build them up in their faith and help them to, to understand all that Christ has told us, right? So reach and build, it, I, I like the way our, our, our youth uh, have that expressed that way. In adult ministries, our adult Bible fellowships are more focused on the build, right? To, to interact around God's word, pray for each other, encourage each other as we walk with Christ. So that, in, in, whether it's young or old, so that we would then be involved in reaching more people. And so really RBI has been happening, not just at our church, but churches around the world and around our community, you know, well, around the world 2,000 years since Christ, because that's, the way, that's why we're even here, is because someone was reaching people with the gospel and building them up, and, and, the, and the church has gone on. And so that's why Paul says, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly. There's an urgency for a couple of reasons on Paul's mind, I'm pretty sure. First of all, he has taught them in, in the first letter, chapter 4, and alluded to it again in chapter 2 of this one, Jesus can come back at any time. So if Jesus can come back at any time, we have to reach people with the gospel. And uh, the other issue, of course, is that we never know the day of our death. And so we need to reach people. I, I sense this urgency many times in our missionaries, and I deeply respect it. Uh, we have missionaries in a number of cases who go to parts of the world where the language is, there is no Bible, okay? And so our missionaries need to learn the language and learn it well enough to translate the Bible so that they can understand the gospel, so they can share the gospel. And that takes years. And sometimes in that process, I've heard missionaries say, yeah, we developed some friendships, and before we could share the gospel, some of them died without hearing the gospel. There is an urgency to the gospel. Pray that it'll spread rapidly. 
What's the next thing it says? That it may spread rapidly and be glorified or honored. How is the message of the Lord, how is the gospel message glorified? The word glorify basically means to expose it, to shine a light on it, to make it outwardly obvious. How is the gospel made outwardly obvious? I think uh, as we go, go to uh, 1 Thessalonians, Paul alluded to just how that happened because he says, and be honored just as it was with you or among you. So Paul is going down memory lane just a few months before when the Thessalonians became believers. And he says, you guys made sure that what happened to you inwardly, in fact, did show outwardly. Here's how it was glorified. He said, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves, other churches, other places are, are reporting what kind of reception you gave us. They tell you, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is, you guys are thinking about Christ coming back, and so your life has been changed by the gospel. You have turned from idols to God. It was, it was becoming known everywhere. He said, this, this is great affirmation. The, uh, our daughter and son-in-law, uh, when they lived in Denver, were part of a, a family of churches who uses this little slogan or phrase, making Christ unignorable. You might not find it in the dictionary, but we get it, right? Our lives should be so transformed that people wonder, what, what's different about you? Everybody knew they had turned from, from idols. And, and if you know that Paul went on to, to places like Athens, Athens was filled with idols. He was writing this from Corinth. Corinth was filled with idols. That was, that was a major problem, actually. And, and our world is filled with idols. We don't necessarily have the, the statue thing in, in, in most of our culture. It, it is, but... But there is money that it becomes an idol, and there's the pleasure that becomes an idol, and there's fame that becomes a, a, a problem idol. Let's make the gospel obvious that it's glorified. Verse 2, he goes on to the uh, second prayer request, still relating to the gospel, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not everyone has faith. In other words, not everyone's a believer, so there are actual enemies of the gospel. And this was, this was a known threat. This, this is like common knowledge as Paul's writing to his friends in Thessalonica. They well remember how, this, how, how, the, how the, first of all, the, the religious leaders of the synagogues who did not believe and refused to believe created a ruckus in towns that the city officials of Thessalonica then arrested Jason, one of the new believers, and some others and held them accountable for hey, there's a problem in town, which the unbelieving enemies were actually causing, and so they were threatened by the officials, and they, there was a threat on Paul's life, evidently. They scurried him off, so he went to Berea. And in Berea, guess what? The Thessalonians, who hated the gospel, the, the religious leaders, chased him down and created, told lies and created a, a, a political ruckus there about them. So he had to go on, and he went to Athens, and that's where he 
got to talk to them about their idols and about Christ. And, and then from there he went to Corinth and then Corinth is where he is when he writes this letter. So this is no empty threat when he says, pray that we will be delivered from, from, from wicked and evil men, the ones who oppose the gospel. Doing church things and even proclaiming the gospel in these walls is, is really a pretty safe thing to do in America today at this point, right? We can do this. Um, it's when we get into, I think, our relationships outside in the community when we proclaim this, and some of you I'm sure have experienced this maybe in families or friendships, that as you declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's this thought, you guys are so intolerant. You think it's, it's only the Bible, and you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Yeah, we do. Yes, we do. And so we as believers will be considered or perceived sometimes as intolerant by saying that Jesus is the only way to heaven, but Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. That was very exclusive. No one comes to the Father, Jesus said on earth. And since he said that, Jesus was either telling the truth or he is lying. If Jesus was lying when he said he's the only way to heaven, he is an egotistical lying man. If he's telling the truth, he was the son of God and his death on the cross really paid for our sins. So he is either an egotistical liar or he's really the savior, the son of God. There is no middle ground where Jesus, I think, was just a good man. No, good men are not going to egotistically, arrogantly lie about being the only way to heaven. And so there really is a serious choice that has to be made. There will be pushback, and it'll be about Jesus. If you, you've noticed in, that if you believe in God, you, that, that's really not a problem because that can mean so many things, right? But when you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, that's where it's like, what? But that is what the gospel is. And Paul says there are enemies of the gospel, wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. Paul clearly saw the world as believers in Christ and not believers in Christ. Some have faith in Christ, some do not have faith in Christ. That's not to say that every unbeliever would be characterized in the same way as the wicked and evil men. I really kind of think there's like two kinds of unbelievers. Both kinds are tragic victims of Satan. But there are those servants of Satan's who directly oppose Christ and the gospel. And then there are those victims that are simply blinded by Satan, that they might not see the light of the glory of Christ, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. So either serving, and he was referring to those who were adamantly opposed, abject enemies of the gospel, but either way it is Satan's work, so there is truly a spiritual battle. And so with that sense of tension, in a sense, as he says, pray that the gospel would, would spread rapidly and, 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 and pray because there is, a, there is really opposition, he then like, he, he turns his eyes upwards and look at verse 3, it's so reassuring. But the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. So this, 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 this pushback about the gospel, the wicked and evil men, 
there's actually a personal spiritual entity behind that. It is the evil one, Satan. There is a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual warfare specifically about the gospel. That's the real, that's the real battle. How will the battle turn out? Satan's trying to quench the gospel of Paul and his team and, and, and you and me. Will the enemies of the gospel win? I think sometimes as Christians we are suffering from a spiritual insecurity complex in that we, we see the world and even you know, the spiritual battle, in, in a sense we're right, oh, no one's listening, the Bible is being mocked and opposed as it was then. But we can assume that therefore the world is winning the spiritual battle of the gospel. Ah, you're reading the wrong, wrong parts of the Bible then. The Lord is faithful. Yes, there is an enemy, verse 2. There's pushback, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And when he writes that, of course, that, that verse can be applied in many great ways, but this is specifically about the gospel. And that's why we rejoice as a church here in Port Washington that we can proclaim the gospel and know that Christ is constantly empowering the gospel. He promised that the gospel would be more powerful than any lies, any pushback, any opposition of the evil one. Satan cannot stop the church that shares the gospel. Jesus himself promised it in Matthew 16. He's having a conversation with his disciples because Jesus says, so who do people say that I am? And then he goes one-on-one with Peter. But what about you? Jesus asked who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. We know who you are. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. That's not a, a people thing. That's not a human thing, but rather my father in heaven. This, this is revelation from God through his word, through Christ. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock... And the rock here does not refer to Jesus, or rather to Peter. The rock refers to the truth about Jesus. What he has just declared, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Upon this rock that you just told me about, Peter, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, or hell, here's a reference to what Satan's about. The gates of hell will not overcome it, or or prevail, or win. So... I think we misunderstand that passage sometimes a little bit. What are the gates of hell? Gates are defensive. Satan is playing defense against the gospel. Gates aren't offensive weapons, right? You don't swing gates to hit people. Growing up on a farm, gates were what you kept the animals in with. Hell has gates. And hell keeps losing people. Because we start out unbelievers, we start out, uh, we start out with, with uh, we're lost and headed towards hell. Uh, the song we're singing today in response has that phrase that kind of gets our attention. Hell lost another one? I am free. I am free. Really quite biblical, it seems. Because Christ, by his death and by his resurrection, continually is opening the gate. 
And people are coming to faith in Christ. Satan's playing defense. The church is on offense. Satan cannot overcome, stop the church that is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never lose confidence in the power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul told the the Romans, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Nothing can stop that. So he says, as I think of the spiritual battle for the gospel, verse 3, the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you in your mission of sharing the faith that can get people out of their lost condition into eternal life. He is faithful. He'll strengthen you. So be strengthened. Be encouraged. If you believe and desire to share the gospel. Uh, Frankly, what has been most encouraging to me in ministry these past decades has been the power of the gospel. Because whatever else could be difficult in life to see that God through, through the gospel of Jesus Christ is bringing people from eternal death to eternal life is so encouraging. Um, I get to share the gospel repeatedly, sometimes of course here and, and probably in person more often than most. It's a uh, it's not quite fair, but it's a perk of being a pastor that people talk to me about spiritual things sometimes. And uh, I, I, I love it that, 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 that there are opportunities to, 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 to do the work of an evangelist, if nothing else, because people are interested in their own eternity. They are interested. Don't ever take the insecurity upon yourself. And so verse 3 is saying the Lord is faithful and he'll protect you from the evil one. What protection did they need? Well, they needed physical protection at times because they were physically uh, threatened and persecuted. But I think it is especially the spiritual protection. Satan will try to stop you from being effective with your spiritual gifts in whatever way you are able to share the gospel or contribute or support the gospel. Especially if you're trying to share it personally with somebody, he will try to stop us with fear. I mean, whether that's Satan, it's just, we're just fearful. He will try to stop us with busyness, the distractions of busyness. Because because gospel witness can become really low down on the priority list because there is so much to do. He can, of course, stop the gospel when he tempts us and, and, uh, and holds us, grips us in sin. Because sinful uh, activities and attitudes will destroy our, 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 our witness, our effectiveness. So I, d- I just hope that we are focused on the power of Christ and the power of the gospel. He will make us strong in our faith. He'll protect us from the evil one. And how were the Thessalonians doing? Verse 4 tells us Paul is very encouraged by the church We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. And then he prays for them. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. He has confidence in their ministry and in their motives. Confidence that you are doing and will continue to do this. This is really high praise from Paul because if you, if you study the letters of Paul, he, he does not hesitate to speak directly to the issues of a specific church. And since we've just studied 1 Corinthians, you'll remember that he didn't, he, he didn't ever say anything quite like, there's a different vibe in 1 Corinthians 
than in both letters to the, the Thessalonians. Because he was often correcting the Corinthians, stop the disunity, you're picking sides about who's your favorite Apollos, Paul, preacher person. Stop the disunity, stop living carnally, living according to your flesh. You should be grown up by now. Stop, uh, stop tolerating immorality. Deal with sin issues in the church that are affecting your, your, your witness. And, and uh, stop the lawsuits going before unbelievers, suing each other, and, and stop eating at those idolatrous feasts. You're actually participating in, in that worship. And stop misusing your spiritual gifts in a ways that distracting people. So Paul didn't quite have as much confidence in the Corinthian church because he was always telling, he was urging them to start obeying. What does he say here? We have confidence that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. So it seems that they were, for their very young age, I mean, they're, they're, the church is less than a year old, and yet he sees this kind of healthy, maturing spirit in them. And I, I'd like to think that's mostly what characterizes Open Door. But if they're not a perfect church, and we are not a perfect church, and in fact it's interesting where this, where this affirmation occurs because there is one thing that Paul wants to address with them in a sense of confronting them. And that's actually in our study next week. And I'm just thinking how, you know, it's, it's really wise and gracious of Paul that before he confronts the one area where there's some people that are in the church that are disobeying and, and distracted, before he confronts them, he affirms them on their many areas of obedience. It's kind of like Relationships 101. Any, any parent uh, or boss or person in authority, when, when there's something you need to correct or confront as much as possible, you want to, to, to assure them uh, graciously that what they are doing right, that's Paul. He believes the best in others. He wasn't just looking for their faults. Fault finding is easy. Affirmation hunting is sometimes a little harder not so natural to us. What might Paul be affirming when he says, I know that you are doing and continue to do the things we command? Just go back a page or two to the beginning of this letter. He, he spelled it out in verses 3, 4, and 5. We ought always to thank God, chapter 1, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. That's the first thing. And the love everyone has every one of you has for each other is increasing. That's a big deal. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and your faith in all the per persecutions and trials you're enduring. That's, that's an amazing list. Your faith is growing, so you're growing spiritually. You're growing relationally. Uh, that's never easy. There, and you're suffering for the right things, the, the, the kingdom of God, uh, as we'll see in verse 5 there. You're counted worthy of the kingdom of God. That's, really, that's the kind of list that would be a great self-evaluation. How are you doing? If someone says, how are you doing spiritually? Well, ask yourself, how's, how's my uh, faith journey? Am I trusting God with things more? Am I trusting God with situations? Am I, how are my relationships doing with other Christians? Uh, how's my commitment to the gospel? So uh, Paul tells the Thessalonians, now again, chapter 3, you're, you're doing quite well. And he says, so I commend you for your ministry. But he says, may I have one more prayer for, prayer for you? And here it is, verse 5. This is really the third time he prays for them. He says, here's what I pray. Your ministry, your obedience is going well. I'm going to pray for your motives. May the Lord direct your hearts 
into God's love and Christ's perseverance. So when he says direct your heart, the heart is, is like the wellspring, the, the source of the, what is driving you. I'm going to be praying for the direction of your hearts. May the Lord direct your hearts where? Into God's love and Christ's endurance, patience, perseverance, however you have that. So we're supposed to be driven by and motivated by these two things, God's love, Christ's endurance or perseverance. Uh, some of you have the phrase, the love of God, instead of God's love. It, it, the, the, the grammar of, of what Paul wrote can go either way. The love of God seems to be our love for God. God's love seems, of course, his love for us. Which one is it? And so Bible interpreters kind of go back and forth. Is this our love for God or his love for us? It, it's possible it's kind of both, and it's kind of deliberately vague, but I would, I would tilt it towards God's love for us because he's the one that first loved us. John said in First John, we love him because he first loved us. So we're to be motivated, first of all, by his grace, his love for us. And then I think that's even borne out by that second phrase, and motivated by Christ's uh, perseverance, patience, steadfastness, however you have that. Um, I think that's the cross. What did, what did Christ endure for us? He endured the cross. So God so loved the world, as we sang, that he gave us. His only son who died enduring the cross. So we are the, what motivates us to share the gospel, live in obedience, and display the gospel in our life is the grace of God. I'm going to take you to the bulletin one more time, to the pick of the week by... Alessandra, age eight. No matter what, God loves us. She nailed the sermon last week. She really did. We are motivated by our position in Christ that no matter what, God loves us. And Paul is saying that is to be our, our prime motivation. What's driving your efforts to obey Christ? Is it um, grudgingly complying with some of God's standards because you know you're in trouble if you don't? Are you driven by a sense of guilt and shame? You've made so many mistakes, you better compensate. Um, you, you think God will make you miserable if you don't obey him. Where did you get that, that motivation from? Could that be like leftover from significant people in your life who maybe motivated you more with guilt and shame? Because I think that while there is a sense in which we have a fear of God and accountability to God, uh, what we find in the, in the scripture is we are motivated by God's love and Christ's endurance on the cross. That's what motivates that's, that is lasting motivation, to know that the one who knows our sin so completely, yet loves us so fully, makes us so amazed at God's grace and how patient he is with our sins and how he continually forgives and he already knows all the sin we're going to commit. No matter what, God loves us. That'll, that'll, that'll propel our, our obedience and, and ministry more than anything. So bask in the security of your salvation That'll create the stability and maturity, and then you can be effective for him. So Paul's prayer request 
At the beginning of this passage is a great one. Pray that the gospel spreads rapidly, reaching, and, and then the motives at the end, praying for them, that we would be motivated by the love of God and the, and the, and the perseverance of Christ. As we go back to the, the initial prayer request of Paul, I think God, I think God answers, hears and answers prayers that the gospel would spread rapidly. Oh, yeah. Gospel would spread rapidly. Um, I'm going to do something just a, a little bit different, and, and we're going to take some time to, uh, to pray. Uh, actually, could the worship team, if you're all in here, uh, come on up. We're going to take some time to pray uh, for the lost. Come on up, guys, yeah. Sorry, I didn't warn you ahead of time. I'm going to ask, think about one, two, or three people in your life that God puts on your heart that you, either you know they're not believers because they've told you so, or maybe you're uncertain if they are believers. Just, just be thinking a little bit here. What names and faces come to mind that you say, you know, if there's somebody that God's going to direct to care about this person, it's, it's me, so... As you think of, of that, we're going we're gonna to pray in a minute that you can be praying for those people. You know who they are, that just, just silently pray. And then uh, the second part of our, our prayer time, I'm going to ask you to pray for all the people that are being prayed for by the other people, okay? We want the gospel to spread rapidly. So pray for those you know, and then the ones that would be represented by this room full. And then I want you to pray for other churches in our area, that the gospel would spread rapidly here. Pray for Portview. Pray for Freedens. Uh, the new church, Lakeside Alliance. I know the pastors of these churches, they care about the gospel. They want to see people come to faith in Christ. So let's pray that God will be at work in our community, that the gospel would spread rapidly. I'm sorry I didn't warn you, but if there's something softer, you can, pray, you can play as we, as we pray or strum along, and then we'll, we'll close. Let's just pray together. First of all, praying for those one, two, or three. There are people maybe that you've... Uh, known for many years. There may be people that are brand new to you that you just ran into in the store. I don't know. There may be people you've, you've wondered about because uh, you worked in the, in the cubicle next to them for a while. Now, Lord, I just pray that, I just pray for those people, Lord, may you May you work in their hearts and, and uh, Lord, maybe you'd put together some divine appointments where they can have these conversations that will really matter about your love through Christ specifically. Then, Lord, I just uh, want to pray for uh, churches in our area. You know that there are other churches that uh, are thinking those same thoughts as they meet people and, are, and people are coming and spiritually searching. Lord, you know their, 
their hearts and with their, their thinking. And uh, Lord, I just pray that in their different ministries, they will come in contact because they, have, they know people we don't know. There'd be a movement of uh, your spirit uh, to bring people to faith in Christ uh, in our community. And that then, Lord, you just give each of us a little, little part, a little glimpse of, of what you are doing in that process. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.